Voyage. I'm Donna Charette, three years active duty with the Navy, 16 years in the Army Reserve active duty. Deanna Charette, 10 years in the active duty Air Force and 10 years in the Army Reserves. Mary Edwards Walker, surgeon, Union Army. Very few people know about Mary Edwards Walker. Mary Edwards Walker is the only female recipient of the Medal of Honor. She was the first female U.S. Army surgeon during the Civil War. She dressed like a man and insisted on equality with men in ways that were well ahead of her time. She wrote a book in 1871 about her thoughts on these subjects, so we can actually go back and see, and for the purposes of this podcast, hear in her own words what she had to say. And she had a lot to say. To that great sisterhood, which embraces women with their thousand unwritten trials and sorrows, that God has not given to men the power to comprehend. I dedicate this work in hope that it will contribute to right your wrongs, lighten your burdens, and increase your self-respect and self-reliance, and place in your hands that power which shall emancipate you from the bondage of all that is oppressive. What we have in common is that we both served in the military. We were both uh, strong-headed. We both felt like women had need to have equal rights, although we do have a few more than what Mary Edwards Walker actually got to enjoy. And with us being in the medical corps, we worked in the hospital and took care of patients. She actually broke a lot of military ceilings because she was persistent with what she wanted to do in the the military, which was to be a surgeon. At first, they offered her the opportunity to serve as a nurse, and she would not do it. She volunteered instead without getting any pay for the first couple of years, but she did serve as a surgeon. She still stuck around, and then she even submitted a letter to President Lincoln requesting to become a spy for the Union Army, and they rejected her on both of those categories. But eventually, she spied anyhow, and what she would do was she would help the uh, Confederate doctors at the prison camps or at their camps where they were holding bivouac or whatever they used to call it. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't have Army terms. I'm still Navy. There's a lot that she did, but the fact that she went into a a career field that was uh, male-dominant and didn't matter if it was pay or not, she definitely took it with what she had to know and what she knew and wanted to do. And so she didn't take no for an answer. When I first joined the Air Force, I was an interior electrician, and I was put on an all-male construction team. I was the first woman on an all-male construction team called the Mir Team, and we would go into places like embassies and things like that and, and, and build the construction on the inside. And um, they really didn't know how to handle me. They said, well, if you're going to varnish the wood, you need to do it like you're painting your fingernails. And I said, does it look like I have fingernail polish on? They said, no. And I said, does it look like I know what I'm doing with fingernail polish? So they had to go back and say, okay, this is actually how you do it. 
but for them to automatically assume that it, that I knew how to put on fingernail polish was showing that they did not understand the, the role of a woman. We have often heard it said that men always love women and are their natural protectors because of their great strength and great love. Some men love women as children love dolls. And as a natural result, treat them just as dolls are cared for. They dress them in all the finery. They are able to procure, pet, and exhibit them until the clothes become old and the beautiful color of the face is gone and the eyes are contracted and dim. And then, like worn-out dolls, they are thrown aside for neighbors' dolls or for some beautiful images in the show windows of false society's markets. Mary Edwards Walker was a pioneer in her own right and uh, definitely different than most of the women at that time because she definitely believed in equal rights for women and she thought women's attire was uncomfortable and constricting as far as movement went, especially once she became a doctor. Anything that makes women in any degree independent of man, and as a consequence, independent of marriage, for support, is frowned upon by a certain class of individuals. Strange it is that men do not understand how much better it would be for them, in many respects, if women were all dressed in a hygienic manner. But as they are not, they actually do all in their power by tongue and pen to oppress those who dare to dress hygienically. It is not only silly that an immortal mind should be absorbed for half a lifetime on fashionable follies, to be arranged on the casket that contains this invisible piece of immortality, but it is a sinful waste of time and energies, both of which are essential in many directions that are at present overlooked. The thousand perplexities of fashionable dress wear so upon the temper of a woman that she cannot be amiable. She started wearing men's clothing when she worked on the farm with her mom and dad and found out that it was so much easier to do anything without those big skirts and everything. And looking at the fashions that the women wore during her time, they wore the big hoops underneath their big skirts and everything. And the material that most people wore was crinoline highly uh, inflammable. I think they had about 3,000 deaths due to catching their, their clothes on fire. She was talking about how they needed to make the clothing for females better, and at one point, she just did away with the skirt, period. And uh, she started wearing a top hat and, and uh, coat and tie and everything. Let a horse be compelled to wear a harness that is uncomfortable, and with all his great strength of nerves, but a little time will elapse before he is so restless that his driver feels obliged to seek out and remedy the irritating cause. But if a human being writhes under something that injures the nervous system, others are not as careful as they should be to ascertain the cause, and hence the censure around which many poor wives labor. As women are distinct, separate individuals in the marriage relation as well as out of it, as they are sharers of the great labors and the greater sorrows and burdens of life, there are as great or greater reasons why they should be as hygienically dressed as men 
and their minds and hearts and consciences are capable and will direct them right. Just as soon as the way is opened and woman has sweet liberty to live up to her noble womanhood without being hampered and cramped. And one time while she was down in New Orleans, she got arrested for impersonating a male. And the big bruiser of a cop asked her, says, have you ever slept with a real man? And that's as far as that conversation got. But once she was taken into the uh, police station, they let her go because they knew who she was. A husband has no more right to dictate about the cut of his wife's clothes than his wife to interfere with her husband's. And it is time that the barbarous ideas of men assuming such prerogatives were swept away and that the inherent right of women to dress as she pleases established. Most of the time, I was treated very well. Most of the time, most of the corpsmen and core waves were almost like a family, and we just automatically showed respect to each other. But you know, you've always got that one crappy apple in the barrel, and we would get harassed. One night, uh, I walked into the galley. I was getting ready to take some water over to one of the patients, and the corpsman who was there uh, slapped me on my rear end. So I threw a glass full of ice at him. He begged me not to, but I did anyhow. This sergeant who was this, oh, little scrawny troll-looking thing, came up, was talking to me, and uh, he followed me out, and it was a balcony that went down to the second floor. And um, he started wanting to get a little frisky, and I told him, I said, don't do that. He says, but I outrank you. And I said, I don't care if you're the president. Keep your hands off me. And he sort of made a step toward me, and I said, would you like to end up on the floor downstairs because I'm getting ready to throw you off this balcony? (laughs) And he stepped back and left me alone. He never harassed me again. But later, when... uh, I got on my last tour of duty. That's when the harassment really started. I had an executive officer, and um, I finally filed sexual harassment against him with the IG. The paperwork went all the way up to the Pentagon. He got reprimanded for interfering with my medical problems and for harassing me, and they told him to leave me alone. But it was like somebody... Chased him with a hot poker because he got mad and he got worse. And he would not even let me get off duty to go to Deanna's high school graduation. So I went AWOL. Nobody ever really talked about sexual harassment in the military when, when I went in. It was just kind of taboo. I filed my first sexual harassment charge at my second base and... It was against my supervisor, who was a master sergeant and a co-worker. And the first sergeant, who was my supervisor's supervisor, actually did the investigation himself. And when, when the supervisor and the co-worker admitted that, yes, it was sexual harassment, they shredded the paperwork because they didn't want it to follow them if they went to another base. The master sergeant was offered early retirement. The co-worker was offered his higher tenure three months early to get out. And miraculously, somehow, I had volunteered to take a remote tour for a year to Korea. When I went and filed, people asked me, well, what did you do to make this happen? And I realized at that point, and then after I went to Korea, that uh, this is happening a lot. The women are being chastised. when, When a woman gets raped, it's, what were you wearing? Why did you talk to the person? It's never, 
we understand or anything like that. So I, I very quickly shut up about what I saw or what I, I felt or anything. And I, and I actually let more sexual harassment happen to me and other soldiers because it wasn't changing as fast as we needed to. It, it, it happens. I mean, still it still happens. Society pays a premium to women for being deceitful by being sure to abuse those who dare to be honest and frank. I had been in admin, and I have to admit that I was really pretty good at that. Well, then I became a recruiter, and a seasoned recruiter said, you don't lie to your applicants, you imply. And I said, I'm not going to do it, and I never did lie to any of mine. So the people up at the Pentagon decided to send me to supply school so that I could become a supply sergeant. Well, let me tell you, that was the biggest mistake we all made because it turns out that instead of me just being a little old supply sergeant, they tried to get me to be the motor pool sergeant and in charge of the chow, the mess hall, and do supply. And all I had was training as an E1. So everything started backing up on me and I couldn't keep up with anything. So it got to the point where, I mean, I was really just struggling and I was just, I was losing it mentally. Now, one of the things that my executive officer did as far as harassment went, this was not sexual harassment. It was abuse of power. I was in the hospital in Keesler where I was flown down in an airbag plane and I was down there three weeks. He thought I was going to be gone for a weekend. Well, when I came back, he was going to charge me with being AWOL, even though I was under orders. And he says, well, you never stayed in touch with me. Well, I was under orders, and I wasn't under his command anymore. So that's what sort of pushed me over the edge. I should have let him do it, and then he would have burned himself. But while I was gone, when I came back, he gave me orders at least three different times to go into the arms room and signed that I had counted those weapons every single day that I was not there, and I refused to do it. So he threatened to bring me up on charges again. What they did was they sent me down for a, met, a mental evaluation because they were saying that I had a personality dis disorder. And... The psychiatrist that I got to see, he said, I am getting out of the military before I reach my retirement because I am so tired of seeing women who have 15 to 18 years on active duty being sent to me so that I can discharge them for having a personality dis disorder so they don't get their retirement. That's the reason I have only 19 years in instead of my full 20. And it's, my last year was uh, medical discharge. We see that over at Fort Hood. This is something that they knew about and they know about and they, it gets swept under the rug. I, I, I am very glad that we have women that are in Airborne. We have women that are Green Berets and Army Rangers. But I can just imagine some of them going through the turmoil. I mean, understand that it's it's hard for a, for a man to, to have a woman pick him up and carry him because he's been shot. But if we're able to do that and we're able to do our jobs physically and mentally, then there is nothing to stop us. 
As a last reason urged against the ballot for women, we hear that they cannot be warriors and defend a country and therefore have no right to take part in a government. Such reasoners are always found to be either ignorant of the histories of past and present ages or are selfish tricksters who well know that they would never succeed in their plans if women were enfranchised. The instances of bravery, starvation, suffering, wounds, and death of women both North and South during our late war ought to forever close the mouths of such reasoners, even if wholly ignorant of the thousands of instances in all ages of the never-by-man-excelled courage, bravery, endurance, and patriotism of women of the past. England owed its deliverance from the tyrannical yoke of the Danes to Judith, the stepmother of Alfred, Philippa of Hignol, the queen of Edward III of England, was celebrated for her skill and prudence in military affairs. Ancient history furnishes splendid instances of women's heroism in defense of country and religion in the medieval ages. There were also many brave warlike women in the French Revolution and in the Peninsular War. In the Revolution of 1789, the women of Paris were the foremost actors as actual combatants. The women marched on Versailles to bring back the King of France to Paris. Augustina Saragossa, a Spanish woman, during the Spanish War of Independence in the peninsula, sprang over the dead and dying, snatched a match from a dead artilleryman, fired off a 26-pounder, and made a vow not to quit it alive during the siege. And she so inspired the men that the French were repulsed with great loss. Joan of Arc, the Maid of Orleans, and Joan of Montfort, and the celebrated Margot of Anjou, all were as brave as ever men were. Ex-Queen Isabella of Spain at one time went with her soldiers into her revolted states and entirely quieted them. About 720 years since, the Moors sought to regain Tortosa, and for a length of time, the male inhabitants bore the siege firmly. But after having suffered extreme privations and every hope had vanished, they had proposed to yield to the Moors. The women attired themselves in men's clothes and made a resolute sally upon their enemies and with such heroism that they were compelled to raise the siege. And the Tortosa women returned triumphantly to their city. While the Moors fled in dismay and made no further attempt upon Tortosa. For the same, Don Raymond instituted an order of the knighthood in which none but these brave women were admitted. He also ordained that women should be exempt from taxes, and that at all public meetings the women should have the best seats. There the women were universally honored and esteemed. It was proven during Desert Storm when now retired General uh, Rhonda Cornham, the helicopter pilot, was shot down. Her husband was my flight surgeon, and they were over in Desert Storm, and she broke both arms, and, and while they were doing things to her to torture her, including raping her in front of 19- and 20-year-old soldiers, she had a presence of mind to tell the soldiers, don't do anything. You're not, you know, she had her leadership capability. And it was, it was a fairy tale to all of us. Oh, they got captured. They're being treated great. Because when she came back, she was told to say, I was treated fairly. 
I think Mary Edwards Walker had made, I'm pretty sure as a POW, she wasn't exactly treated walking red carpets or anything like that. You know, she was probably raped. She was probably tortured, and especially if they thought she was a spy. So what she may have gone through then, what our female soldiers have gone through during Korean wars and all of that, it wasn't just the fact that we had to watch out for the enemy. Our own enemy was protecting our back. You know, I think if, if Mary hadn't stepped forward with some of the things and she actually used her medical knowledge to protect herself, the strides, would they still would have been there, but they may have been slower to happen. If she was around today, she would... Um, she would be happy and sad. Ignorance or selfishness covers the whole ground of the opposition to women being enfranchised, whether it comes from woman or man. That the political equality of the sexes will produce radical changes in society generally, and the marriage relation especially, is evident to all. Men have felt this in a poignant degree, and so great has been their fear that they will lose their assumed power over woman as wife, that they have opposed even the discussion of the subject. Uh, she would be happy about the how far we've come. We're able to vote. Uh, we can wear jeans. Um, we can we can wear bikinis. We can work uh, not in just in the military, but we can work anywhere. And nobody asks about can you do the job. Look at our female firefighters. Look at. Look at our female in the military, um, the, the Rangers and the Green Beret, and, and things like that. And so I think she would be happy at the advancement, but I think she would also be sad to know that every time we take two steps forward, somebody tries to make us take a step back. And, and it's not just necessarily men. A, a lot of the women are like, oh, women shouldn't do that. Women shouldn't be in war. Well, with, with no front line anymore drawn in the sand because of everything, we don't have a choice. We go to Afghanistan, there's a chance that we're going to get attacked no matter where we are via a missile. I, I know a lot of women that were 88 November truck drivers, and they would take the watering uh, buffaloes, which were our big water tanks, and they drove them into Iraq to, to our soldiers out there. There was a lady, she said... The men would stop at the border to Iraq, and she just traveled along by herself because she had a job to do. I still think the military is one of the best places for young people straight out of high school. We come out, we have knowledge, we have, we're, we're able to get life insurance, we're able to get free medical. Our dependents get free medical. We have education offered to us. Our dependents get education. We get to travel the world. If we're not married, they give us housing. Even if we are married, they give us housing. Our kids can go to school on base with other military. And then you get to travel if you want to. I would have never gone to England. And I was there for two years. I went to Germany, Paris, Turkey, Amsterdam. There were things that I got to do that I would have never gotten to do. To remain in absolute idleness is, to say the least, a great piece of selfishness. Labor of some kind is just as much a necessity to the abiding happiness as is bread to the existence. She would go in and help the surgeons, and she also tried to get the doctors to practice more sanitized ways of doing things, and unfortunately, Neither side had that much medical supplies or medicine to help the guys when they just took a saw to their leg or their arm and cut it off. But she also encouraged 
the soldiers not to just automatically say, okay, you can amputate whatever. If the young men did not let them take the saw to the injured part of their body, then she would go in and cleanse their wounds and change bandages, etc. So she really encouraged uh, sanitary procedures. She would cross the lines of the battle to care for the soldiers and the civilians on, on both sides, so it didn't matter. But in April of 1864, she had just finished helping a Confederate doctor with a surgery when she was captured by Confederate troops and held as a spy until she was exchanged for a Confederate major in August of 1864. So they actually acknowledged her worth and exchanged her for somebody of equal value, which is, you know, just in any POW situation, that is not usually how it happens. They'll keep the, the higher ranking, the, the people that know more, they will keep them longer to extract information. And the fact that she was only held for about four months, you, that, that says a lot, especially back then, that, that the Union was willing to exchange her for a Confederate major that they had captured. So they recognized her, her, her worth also. There was about 300 medal, Army Medal of Honors handed out to so many of the Union soldiers. After the war, she was approved for the Medal of Honor for her efforts to treat the wounded during the Civil War. She is the first and only female Medal of Honor recipient. But in 1917, they rescinded so many of the Army Medal of Honors, and she was one of the ones that had to turn hers back in. She absolutely refused to do so, and she wore her medal until the day she died. The rumor is is that when they went to take it from her at her at her residence, that she met the soldiers at the door with her shotgun and told them they couldn't take, which just shows her her spirit and tenacity. and her, her tenacity and her determination. You gave it to me. You're not getting it back. This is not something this woman's given up. And then in 1977, during Jimmy Carter's presidency, they reinstated her Medal of Honor to her. However, she had passed away in 1919 and did not know it, of course, unless she was looking from the clouds. The recognition of the individuality of women is simply an acknowledgement of human rights which all human beings have guaranteed them by the fact of their having an existence. As surely is this, as is the right to exist at all. To learn more about issues facing veterans today, go to www.badhabitsproductions.com. That's Bad Habits with a Z Productions.com. Bad Habits Productions is a 100% veteran-oriented production company, which will be releasing documentaries on veterans and the obstacles they face, and also training veterans interested in the film industry, whether it be in front of the camera as cast or behind the camera as crew. You can also find the website in the show notes. Thank you for listening.